I want to share with you this morning a principle that is essential that we understand if we ever gain victory in spiritual warfare. I know that when I use the term spiritual warfare, that's a kind of a strange term to some of you. I'm talking about in the struggle to live the Christian life and um, to um, overcome the um, forces of evil that align themselves against us. There is a principle that is essential in gaining victory in this spiritual warfare. There's a hint of the principle found in this uh, sixth chapter of Matthew, beginning verse 9. Pray then this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here's the principle. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now you recognize, of course, that Jesus is giving us the model prayer and he's telling us to pray that, that the will of God would be done on earth exactly as it is being done in heaven. So that what we desire and what we pray is that what is happening in heaven concerning the will of God could happen on earth. Perhaps a little bit clearer insight into the principle is in verse 18 of chapter 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now sometimes the tenses of the verbs get obscured and you get a, a wrong interpretation of a passage, and that is you know, what is happening here. Really the best interpretation of that is, whatever you shall bind on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. It's in the perfect tense. And whatever you loose or bind on earth shall have been already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. The Williams translation really translates that best. If you want to get a translation that has the purest translation from the Greek New Testament, gets you a Williams translation of the New Testament. This is how he translates it. I solemnly say to you, Whatever you forbid on earth must be already forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth must be already permitted in heaven. In other words, heaven doesn't take its cue from the earth. Earth takes its cue from heaven. So whenever I encounter an, uh, an adversary or uh, whenever I come up against a problem or a temptation or um, um, a, a, a difficulty in my life, what I need to do in the first place is to take some time to check out its status in heaven. And, and, and if I discover what heaven's viewpoint with regard to that situation is, I can appropriate that for myself. In other words, I appropriate what has already been made absolute in heaven. And so when the devil comes to uh, assault me and the adversary comes to tempt me and to harass me and intimidate me, what I need to do first of all is to take a little time and check out his status in heaven. I'm talking about from heaven's viewpoint. 
And I discover immediately that from heaven's viewpoint, the Bible says that, that Satan's already been bound. And that when Jesus died and was resurrected, he stripped him of all of his power. He took all this power away from him and, and, and bound him. And so I can, I can appropriate heaven's defeat of Satan for myself down here on earth. I take my cue from heaven with regard to Satan. So you see that the, the difference between victory and defeat in the Christian life is a difference in viewpoint. Now from my viewpoint on earth, my, I see Satan as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But heaven's viewpoint is that he's had all his teeth pulled. You see what I'm saying? From, from earth's viewpoint, Satan's like a serpent with, with venom in his fangs. But from heaven's viewpoint, Satan has been defanged. And so I take my cue from heaven and I appropriate what heaven has for me. I appropriate what has been made absolute in heaven. And that's how I live my life down here on earth. That's the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. Now watch this. That means that the only power that Satan has over me is the power of intimidation. He can just bluff me. That's all he can do. And the only power that the adversary has against me is the power I permit him to have. Now sometimes Satan accuses me. The Bible says that he's the great accuser. And so he accuses me to God and he says to God, now look at what this man has done. And he starts naming off the things that I've done and I'm guilty of every one of them and some more probably. And he accuses me to me. He says, how can you be a Christian? How can you live the Christian life? When look at what you've done in your life. And you know what I need to do first of all and you need to do? We need to take some time and to check out our status in heaven. And what I discover is this that heaven, from heaven's viewpoint, when I'm saved, when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, from that moment, Christ presents me faultless before God. And there's not a trace of sin in me. I'm talking about from heaven's viewpoint. So that God takes all of my sin and puts it on Jesus, and He takes His righteousness and puts it on me. And that's how He looks at me. That's from His viewpoint. I am without a trace of sin. And what I have to do is, I have to start becoming what I, what I am already. So I discover what heaven's viewpoint is of me, and I start living that out in this world. And that's the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. Now when I understand that great principle, and you understand that, you and I are able to make one of the greatest discoveries of the Christian life. It is discovery of the doctrine of identification, of union with Christ, of oneness with Christ. Now, if you make that discovery this morning of what it means to be one with Christ, to have union with, with Jesus, identification with Christ, you've made one of the greatest discoveries that you'll ever make in the Christian life. Jack Taylor in his book, The Much More of, 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 the, of life, Much More Life, he says this about identification. He says, when a believer discovers the truth of his identification with Jesus, 
The devil must mark on his calendar a singular defeat for the powers of darkness. And as the believer begins to assert what he has discovered, the legions of hell must begin their retreat. Now, what he's saying is this. When you discover for yourselves what it means to be one with Christ, identified with Christ, the legions of hell begin their retreat. So what is this identification with Christ? Listen to me. Identification with Christ means that Christ has become one with us in order that we might be one with Him. He has become perfectly identified with us in order that we might be perfectly identified with Him. Now listen to me carefully. It means that whatever, as a believer, whatever can be said of Jesus can be said of you. Are you listening to that? Now that's a, that's a pretty radical statement. I don't want you to go out of here this morning and, and misquote me, so I want to be sure you understand what I'm saying. From heaven's viewpoint, as a believer, whatever can be said of Jesus can be said of me. And that's what 1 John 4.17 means when it says, As He, Jesus, is, so are we in this world. Now, I don't know how you interpret that any, any other way. What John says is this. Now, he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about right here in the present. He says, whatever can be said of Jesus, whatever He is, you are in this world because you're identified with Him and one with Him. Now, there are two sides to the coin of identification. I'm going to give you some good old Baptist doctrine. You may want to take a note or two, at least jot down some, some scriptures I'm going to read and get the, you know, get the uh, references to them. All right, number one. It means that Christ has become identified with us. I'm going to give you an, an incident that illustrates that, and then I'm going to give some scriptures that support it. John the Baptist was out in the wilderness baptizing. Now the baptism of John the Baptist was a baptism of repentance. It was, it was the way they confessed that they were sinners. So when they came to the baptism of John the Baptist, they were saying, I'm lost, I'm undone, I'm a sinner, and I'm confessing that. So that when he baptized them, it was his way of, uh, it was their way of saying, I am a sinner. No wonder the Pharisees didn't want to be baptized by John. Because the, the Pharisees would never admit they were sinners like the rest of us, the rest of the folks. And so they didn't want to be baptized. Being baptized of John would be like coming down the aisle of a church and standing up in front of the church and saying, I'm a lousy sinner undone. That's what the baptism of John was about. So here comes Jesus one day. And he comes up to John the Baptist and he says, I want you to baptize me. And John the Baptist was repelled by that idea. He didn't want to be baptized. He didn't want to baptize Jesus. And I can understand why he didn't want to baptize Jesus because he knew Jesus wasn't a sinner. 
I mean, you're holy. You're not unholy. You're sinless. You're not a sinner. Why would I baptize you? But Jesus insisted that John baptized him because, now watch this, he wanted the world to know that he was identifying with the sinner. He wanted the world to know that he was one with the sinner. He, didn't, he, he wasn't baptized because he needed it. He was baptized for us. As a matter of fact, everything that Jesus did, he did for us. John 5, Romans 5, 8 says, For God proved his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he has borne our griefs. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He was bruised for our iniquities. All our iniquity was laid upon him. Everything that Jesus did, he did for us. He came one with us, but separated from us. He was numbered with the transgressors. So when he died on the cross, he died on the cross for us. We know that. All right? Identification means that Christ became identified with us. I mean, it was, he was saying, I'm going to the cross for you, you see. All right, the second side of the coin is this. He became one with me in order that I might become one with him. Now, I made a radical statement a while ago, and some of you, I saw some people looking at each other, you know. Well, what in the world is he getting? He's off in a, in a storm today. My statement was that whatever can be said of Jesus, about Jesus, can be said of you as a believer. All right? Let me see if I can substantiate that radical statement. Jesus died. We know he did that. Ask any little child what he knows about Jesus, and he'll tell you that Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died. Now, because I am identified with him, so did I die. I'm identified with him in his death. So that when Jesus died, I died. And that's why the devil's accusations don't count with God. Because when the devil comes to accuse me for my sin committed yesterday or today in this life, God says, now that just can't be because he died 2,000 years ago. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Now to be crucified with someone, wouldn't you think it logical that in order to be crucified with someone, you'd have to be crucified at the same time they were? If I said I came to church this morning with Mark, wouldn't you assume that I came to church at the same time he did? When, I was, when Christ was crucified, I was crucified with him. Now I want you to turn, just put your finger on the sixth chapter of Romans. And verses 4, 6, and 8 of Romans are so important. Listen to what verse 6 says of Romans. Romans 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. A number of years ago, some people made a trip to the Holy Land. And they went out to this place where, you know, there's a little hill outside, right now in the edge of, of the city of Jerusalem. They went, I, I, I've been there. They went out to this place 
And the guide said, this is where Jesus was crucified. And then he kind of looked around and he says, has anybody, ever, has anybody of you ever been here before? And a man in the group said, yes, I was here 2,000 years ago. And the guy looked at him and he thought he was kidding. He said, well, you're, you're old, but you don't look that old. And the guy said, oh, you don't understand. When Jesus Christ was crucified 2,000 years ago, I was crucified with him. Whatever can be said of Jesus can be said of you. All right? He was buried. Now we know that when he was taken down from the cross, he was placed in a tomb. When he was buried in that tomb, I was buried there also. Listen to what Romans 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 4 says. Therefore, we have been, it's in the aorist tense point of time action, we have been buried with him through baptism unto death. 1985, I stood in the garden, at the garden tomb. And I looked into that hole there, and the side of that wall was supposed to be in the place, the actual place where Jesus was buried. I don't know whether it was or not, but it's good enough for me. And I looked into that hole of that tomb, and, and you know, I've, I'm thinking today, I've been there before. I spent three days there once. For when they took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in the tomb, they put me there also. All right? He was raised from the dead. Whatever can be said about Jesus can be said about you. That means that just as Jesus, and this is scriptural, whatever, whatever says of, said of Jesus can be said of you. Whenever Jesus was raised from the dead, so were you. Listen to verse 5. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with Him, for He was raised from the dead with us through the glory of God the Father. Now, what that means is, not only that you died with Christ and were buried, but you were raised the same way Jesus was raised. So that when we celebrate the resurrection in a few days at Easter time, it's not just an event that happened 2,000 years ago. It is an event that, it, that happened in your life and still happens so that you live in the power of the resurrected life. Next Sunday night, we're going to have baptism. I'm looking out at people. I've baptized myself. You know what happens when a person's baptized? Is his sin washed away when he's baptized? That's not what baptism is about. What happens when we're baptized is we go down that baptistry and we sing, I'm identifying with the Jesus who was crucified, buried, and raised. And we're saying, secondly, I myself have died and the old self was buried and the new self has begun to live, the new resurrected life. And that's what baptism is. All right? Jesus was ascended and exalted. Everything that can be said of Jesus can be said of you. Listen to Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. Listen to this. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't know how many times I've preached that, that text as though He's talking about heaven. 
And I preach that like this, that one of these days when the second coming comes, Jesus comes back to earth, he's going to raise up these bodies, he's going to take us to heaven, we're going to be all, all of us are going to be with God in heaven. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that the moment you get saved, you are exalted and ascended with Christ to the, to the place of exalted power right then and there. And when God put all those things under the, foot, under the feet of Jesus, He put them under your feet. You don't have to live in defeat. And then finally, I'm identified in His glorification. That's why I can't lose my salvation. I've already been glorified. It's as, as sure that I'm going to heaven as if I was already there because I've been glorified. Listen to what he says. Whom he predestinated, these he also called. Whom he called, he also glorified, and, uh, justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now that's, that's shouting ground. That's why I'm shouting. I wonder why you're not. They told me long ago they were in this church that I can't imagine why you folks don't say amen. I said, well, the reason why they don't say amen is because the people think they're a visitor. (laughs) Okay, now there are two sides to this coin of identification. Now watch this. Two sides to the coin of identification. It means this, Christ is in me. Christ is in me. That means that I am born along from within. Listen to that. I am born along from within. That Christianity is not something that you bear. Christianity is something by which you're born, B-O-R-N-E. I'm born along. The scripture says, Christ in you is glory's hope for you. He that is within you is greater than he that is in the world. Christ is in me. And I use that illustration, I use it again. 14.7 pounds per square inch of pressure is being exerted on you from without, on your body. Big as you are, some of you, it's a lot, pretty, lot of pressure. I won't call your names. 14.7 pounds of per square inch of pressure being exerted on you. Why doesn't that crush you? Because there is an equal amount of pressure pushing from within out from you. Now watch this carefully. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Christ in me is greater than anything I will ever encounter. Amen. Second. It not only means that I am in that Christ is in me, it means that I am in Christ. Now you say, well, that's just the same way of saying the same thing. No, it isn't. Now watch this. When I say that Christ is in me, I mean that everywhere I am, Jesus is. And that's a wonderful thing. Because if I'm in the midst of sorrow, Jesus is there. If I'm encountering temptation, Jesus is there who overcame temptation. If I'm facing an adversity, Jesus is there. If the adversary comes, Jesus is there who encountered him in the wilderness and all through his life. Wherever I am, Jesus is. And I, can, I know this, that I can just about face anything in the world if I know, as long as I know Jesus is there. But now when I say 
that I am in Jesus, that means that everywhere Jesus is, I am. And there's a big difference. For where is Jesus right now? Let me tell you where He is. He's at the right hand of God. He has been... He has ascended. He has been exalted to the right hand of God. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And wherever He is, I am. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 means. Chapter 10 verse 12 means when He says, Having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, He sat down at the right hand of God. And that's what Ephesians 1.20 means when it says, He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenlies. And He's there at the right hand in the heavenlies. And I am too. I don't have to be, I don't have to give in to temptation. I don't have to doubt my salvation. I don't have to worry about being lost. I'm at the right hand of God where Jesus is. Now, there are some conditions for that identification. Now, that's the question that people ask. Let me give you those and then we're out of here. How is it, how can I take this truth and use it for my own warfare? How can I take this truth and make it mean for Make it matter for me. Make it mean something to my own experience. I mean, you can read the Bible and say, man, that's wonderful, but I don't know how it happens. I don't know how to make that work. I'm going to suggest two ways that you make this work. First of all, by acknowledging His presence within you. By acknowledging His presence within you. By saying... Hey, Jesus is in me. I acknowledge His presence. Somebody said that when the devil knocks at my door, I just send Jesus to the door. Stephen Alford put it like this. He said, There has never been a demand made upon my life that is not first of all made upon the life of Jesus within me. I just acknowledge that Jesus is in me. I acknowledge the fact that I am not alone in this thing. See what I'm saying? You've got to acknowledge His presence. Let me see if I can illustrate it a little bit better for you to understand. Here's a little boy going to school, and it's Monday morning, and he's starting on to the campus, and here's the, here's the school bully just waiting on him, beat him up. Does it every day, whoops up on him, just works him over. Every day he goes to school, school bully steps out from behind, checks out, see if the principal's anywhere nearby, and just whoops up on him. So one day a little boy comes to school, and the school bully steps out from behind the bushes and gets ready to whoop up on him, and the little boy says, oh, hold on just a minute, time out. I want to introduce you to my brother. He said, and his brother steps out from behind him, he said, I'd like for you to meet the heavyweight champion of the world. And out from behind this little boy steps the heavyweight champion of the world. He's whipped everything it's ever been. He just kind of, you know, just kind of like some of some of you I see down at the Nautilus, looking in the mirror. He just kind of, he just kind of does that a little bit. You know what happens to the, you know what happens to the school bully? He just turns and runs. I believe this with all my heart. Whenever you start acknowledging the presence of the Lord Jesus, 
the devil flees. Now you've got to introduce him. You've got to acknowledge his presence. But there is no demand, listen to this, there is no demand ever made on your life that is not, first of all, a demand made on Jesus. All right, secondly, by asserting, not only by acknowledging His presence, but by asserting your position. Now, what is your position? Your position is a position of authority and power. But you've got to assert that position of authority and power. How relevant this is today. Our allies stormed Kuwait, and I've read such descriptions as like they went through those Iraqis like a knife through hot butter. I mean, just they couldn't keep up with them. They were going so fast, take over that, liberate that country. And they just took out swaths of people, and you've seen it on television. And this morning they met in southern Iraq to determine the conditions of ceasefire. Now, Starman Norman was our uh, uh, representative there. And can you see Starman Norman meeting at that group and saying, Now, I'm not sure now, you know, how we need to, how to, we need to divide this up. I'm not sure now what we need to do. Can you see, you know what he's doing? He's saying, now let me tell you something. It's going to be this way. It's going to be that way. It's going to be this. This is ours. This is yours. This is ours and this is yours. If you don't like it, we'll just drop another bomb on you. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Now, that's what you call asserting your position. That's what you call asserting your position. Let me tell you where the greatest battle ever fought was fought. It was fought at Calvary and the tomb. And when he came out from that cross and out of that tomb, he gained a position of authority and power. And he makes that authority and that position available to every believer for them to assert. And the only problem is, is that we have a position, a throne position, a position of authority and power that we're not asserting. And we're allowing the adversary to whip us when he doesn't have the right to whip us. And this church muddles around in defeat when we ought to be claiming the ground from the position of authority and power. And we name the terms, folks, of the ceasefire because we are the people who stand on the position of authority, right? And it's like that policeman down there on the corner and he's not any tougher than you are. He's got a whistle in his mouth. He's got a badge on his chest. He's got a blue suit. And when you come up, up there in your car, all he has to do is blow his whistle and put up his hand. You come to a stop. Not because, not because he's so powerful, but because he has ecousia. He has authority. Now that's what we need to start asserting. The question is, how do I enter into this oneness with Christ? And this is the... This is the most important answer you'll hear today. 
You come to this position by claiming Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. By trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Something wonderful happened in my Sunday school class today. A man asked a question in my class that, that just literally was, it was like a, like a bomb went off in there. The question was, how do you get your name in the book of life? And the answer is, by trusting in the finished work of Christ. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension, glorification. And when I trust that for myself and appropriate that by faith for me, everything that can be said of Jesus can be said of you. And at the same time, you move on this arena, in this theater of conflict, you move out into a position of authority and power and you can name the terms. And that's where we are. Now, there are some of us this morning who are not living the Spirit-filled life. And you're living in defeat, and you don't need to be. And you're being intimidated and harassed and defeated, and you shouldn't be. Because all that is necessary, watch this, for you to be just like Jesus is made available to your faith and your submission and your surrender. Let's pray together. Father... I pray now that you'll bring us to a decision that will make a difference in all of us, in our church, in our life, in our world. The decision to let Jesus Christ be Lord, to be Savior, for I pray in His name. I'm going to ask you this morning, are there any of you here who have never trusted Jesus? And you've never surrendered your heart and life to Him. You've never entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. I want you to do that today. Come and claim Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you're a Christian this morning, but you're living in defeat, perhaps you need to repent of sin and just come and surrender to His Lordship. And you want to do that today. Claim the ground that's already been won for you and waiting for your appropriation. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come. Have thine own way, have thine own way. Just sing it. You come while we sing.